This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and this week I'm filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who who does this radio show uh, every day, Monday through Friday, to take your Bible questions, questions uh, about Jesus, questions about what the Bible says, questions about how to put into practice in your life, or maybe questions about church life. Uh, everything continues the same. So Pastor Ron and Paula is uh, enjoying uh, some time away in uh, at a place in California where they can just be with Jesus right before we get to our big event of the year, Joy of Jesus. So keep them in your prayers. He's doing well, and he sends his love. The radio phone numbers to call in with your questions is 210 9585 210-340-9585, 877-630-5757. That's your toll-free number. And then the email address is questions at calvarysa.com. Like I said, this is the Tuesday edition. There isn't much going on here at Calvary Chapel, so we'll just get right to it. Don't want to keep our callers waiting, so let's get right to the phone lines Line one, Anonymous, you are on the air. Uh, yes, um, as a uh, Christian, I'd like to uh, know my reassurance of my uh, salvation, and uh, if possible, I may lose my salvation. I listen to the most responsible radio. Oh, okay, Anonymous, what a great question. And this is an important one, so please, please pay attention. If you're, you're listening offline, I'm going to give you a second to, to, um, to catch up. But this is one that a lot of people, a lot of new believers, and, and even people who have been saved for a while, get tormented with by the enemy because they simply don't remember what the Bible says. Uh, If a person truly is born again, you cannot lose your salvation simply because it wasn't yours to gain. Salvation is a gift, a free gift given by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the biblical support we get for the assurance of your salvation for the true believer is one I use, and there's many places, but the one I use often is in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read to you, Anonymous, exactly what it says. So you listen to what Paul the Apostle, and this is really Jesus Christ speaking to you. you. You said you are a Christian. That's what's key. Now listen to what 
he says, I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And, and the context here, really the first three chapters of Ephesians is all about our salvation. And I read you the beginning or the end of verse 13. And at the beginning of verse 13, he makes it very clear. This is about salvation. How can you know for sure that your salvation is really yours? Well, he says here, having believed, that's past tense. You have already believed. If you're a born-again believer today, that means at some time in the past, you made the decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. Now, since that has already happened, Jesus marked you with him, with a seal. And, and the picture here is like the old signet ring of the Old Testament, a, a, a unique symbol that was Im, an imprint given uh, to the king with a ring that he would press onto the hot wax of a document that he sealed. And the idea here is that based on the authority of the one who owns that signet ring, this document is sealed and cannot be opened. Well, Jesus has his signet ring pressed upon you, Anonymous. As a, as a Christian, his signet ring is pressed upon you, and that seal is a seal that he has put on you. What does that seal mean? It's a promise. Jesus' promises are not like my promises and your promises, Anonymous. They're not like the prom promises of men. Jesus' promises means this. Since he is the Son of God, God the Son, whatever he says is true and will come true. He always keeps his promise. But what does he promise? He says you're the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He has promised you as a believer his spirit. His spirit that indwells in you. You didn't earn the spirit. You didn't convince the spirit to come live in you. But the spirit was given to all who believe as a promise. And and here's the the key at the end of verse 14. At the beginning of verse 14, this Holy Spirit given to us is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So Jesus promises that we are his and that he will he has sealed us. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit seal is that seal that guarantees our inheritance. There's a promise and there's a guarantee. And that God keeps his promise anonymous. If you truly are born again, for anyone that truly is born again, that your salvation is not dependent upon your performance. Your salvation is not kept by your performance. Now, it begs the question, if a person who lives a life consistently, a lifestyle apart from Jesus Christ and wants nothing to do with Jesus and has willful disobedience and 
an unrepentant sin, then that person has to question whether or not they're really saved. But for the person that knows they have been born again, they've surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 are a gift. Don't let the enemy torment you. When he tries to mess with your thoughts, and he does to all of us, and it always happens when we compromise in our walk, when we sin. The whispers of, there you go again. Or you, you, you did it, you did it this time. Or it's over, you never really were his. Or you call yourself a Christian and you act like this. Jesus would never say those things. Jesus doesn't speak that way to us. When we sin, we have to repent. And we repent quickly, hopefully. And you can remember what Ephesians chapter 1 says, having believed in the past tense, you were marked with him, excuse me, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. There, there, that's an open and shut case. You just need to walk with Jesus and stay close to him. On a side note, this issue of doubting your salvation always happens, always happens when there's distance between the believer and Jesus. Whenever we're with him, Whenever we're intimately with him, like, like, like Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says, staying in step with the Spirit. It's like you're his shadow walking right behind Jesus. And if his right foot moves, your right foot moves right behind him. If his left foot moves, your left foot moves right behind him. That's how close Jesus wants us to be to him. Well, when you walk with Jesus that closely and your hearts are knit together, you're not going to doubt your salvation. It's only when we compromise and we let sin into our lives that the enemy gets in there and starts to discourage us with thoughts of whether or not we really are saved. So yes, it's true. If you are a true a believer, you can't lose your salvation. But you need to stay close to Jesus so that the enemy can't mess with you and cause you to doubt that anymore. Uh, Anonymous, thank you for your call. Uh, I'm so thrilled that we start off the show with this question because one of the things that that we deal with so often in the lives of, like I mentioned earlier, new Christians and people who have been saved for quite some time is, and it's a particularly heartbreaking when it's people who ask the question, the same question, when they've been saved for, for decades, it tells me that they've never really gotten to know Jesus. They've never really been intimate with him and known his heart. And they've never known his word. Know the word of God. Study it over and over and over. 
Thank you for your call, Anonymous. That really is an important question. I wanted to start off the show by sharing a couple of thoughts. Let me give you the phone numbers again to dial in 210-340-9585, That is uh, the toll-free number. And then questions at Calvary SA, uh, questions at calvarysa.com. That's our email address. If you've got a question and you want to submit it uh, via email, please use that address. We've been kind of dry lately with email questions for some reason. We usually have quite a few, but please send them in. Uh, so, last night at our Monday night men's Bible study, we are going through uh, Isaiah's prophecy, and uh, I tell them on Monday nights, because it's a men's study, one of the things we, we, we get the privilege of doing is is still in an expository format. We're still going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. But we also get to focus in on uh, issues that would be more pertinent to, to men. It's a men's Bible study. Things like spiritual leadership, uh, being leaders in the household. And last night's Bible study was one of those Bible studies where there was so much rich application uh, I didn't want to just hurry through it. But it was in the the latter portion of chapter 52 and into chapter 53. Very popular passage known for its description of the suffering servant. And we know that to be Jesus Christ. It's so vivid pictures, so many vivid pictures and so many New Testament uh, quotations from this passage alone. But one of the things I wanted to share with the radio audience today is something that just really touched my heart. Among all the things that is described of the suffering servant in chapter 53 of Isaiah, we know that he was an ordinary looking guy. This would be Jesus again, who we're talking about. But in verse three, it says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. And that he was a man of sorrows. And I felt like the Lord was just speaking to my heart as I would go through this and, and, and meditate on this passage and on this chapter. One of the things I love so much about Jesus, practically, is that there isn't anything that I would go through today that he cannot identify with. Because it says he was despised and rejected by men. For those of you familiar with the chapter 53 of Isaiah, it, it goes on with explicit detail to describe his, his marred appearance, stricken by God, uh, even disfigured later on or, or at the end of chapter 52, disfigured beyond that of any man. Obviously a picture of when... Jesus was beaten and the bag was over his head and they took it off and they couldn't tell that he was barely human. When I think about what Jesus did for me, I shared this with the men, with Barabbas there, and Jesus beaten, 
tor tortured, his body barely surviving, standing there in the forum over the people with Pontius Pilate saying, who do you want? And the crowd shouting, we want Barabbas and let Jesus' blood be on our own heads. I always tell them that it's like I, I'm the guy that was at the very front row. I imagine those 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 barriers that they use at concerts, those metal gates, and the people pushing at them. I'm at the very very front, and the crowd behind us yelling and pushing and squeezing me, but with all my might, I'm yelling, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" Now, obviously, I wasn't there. I'm not being overly dramatic, but I really believe that that was me and that I was there. He was despised and rejected by me, not just by men, but by me. Second Samuel verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 28, I believe. One of my favorite characters of the Old Testament is a guy named Mephibosheth who speaking to King David after Mephibosheth had been betrayed by Ziba, his servant. The story is that Mephibosheth being a cripple was a friend of David's and then Ziba later on made it seem like, he lied, he made it seem like Mephibosheth had departed and betrayed David. And then when Mephibosheth sees David again, David says, what did you leave me? Why did you betray me? And Mephibosheth said, I, I never did. I was here all along. Wait, I was there waiting for you. What Ziba said was not true. And then when David finds out that Mephibosheth never abandoned him, that he was always there for him, he says to him, okay, I'll give you back your land. And we'll split it up just like it was in the beginning. You get your part, Ziba will get his. And then Mephibosheth says, this is around verse 28, all I care about is knowing that you're alive. He says, I should be dead. I should be dead. I don't care about the land. I don't need that. Just give it to him. I should be dead, but I'm alive. And for that, I'm grateful. That's what Mephibosheth was communicating to David. That's what I think about in Isaiah 53. It's one thing to know the story, the details of the torture that Jesus endured, watching you know, the passion of the Christ and the brutality of his treatment. It's offensive, and it is. But when you take the suffering that he endured and you make it personal, when I make it personal for me, I realize he did that for me because he loves me. Jesus was despised and rejected by man. He was a man, it says in the same verse, he was a man of sorrows. I love that Jesus identifies with us in our pain. Because of what he did for me, even when I was the one yelling, crucify him, Romans chapter 5, while we are his enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. But it says he was a man of sorrows. He can identify with my sorrow today.
There's nothing that you or I could go through today that Jesus hasn't already trailblazed a path or gone before us and endured that same suffering. Hebrews chapter 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In his sorrow, in his pain, and in his suffering, Jesus never sinned. And in his hardship, he identifies with what I'm going through today. Don't look to people to give you empathy with what you're going through. Go to Jesus. Think about that for a second. When we go off to Facebook or when we go off to social media, when we group text a bunch of people and just spill our beans and, uh, and, and spill our guts and, and vomit and complain about how difficult our life is, there's always going to be somebody that says, well, yeah, you know what, you had a hard time, but guess what, mine was more difficult. That doesn't help. But when Jesus says, they hated me, so they're going to hate you. He empathizes with us. He doesn't just say, mine was worse. It was worse for me. But because I did it for you, you can continue on, and I'll give you the grace that you need when you need it. That long intro, I thank you for giving me uh, just a moment. It was such a heavy thing on my heart. And, and then I look at today's questions and some of the ones that were submitted, and I thought, gosh, I really wish that they could have listened to last night's Bible study. Let me go on. I only have a few more minutes before our first break. This is an important one that comes from Jose. I know that I have a drinking problem. My wife has asked me to stop, but I don't get drunk. I am a believer, but I don't think I can really stop drinking. Jose, your problem is sin. And the drinking is sin. It doesn't matter if you don't think you get drunk or not. The fact that your wife had already asked you to stop, this leads me to believe there's already damage caused in your home, in your marriage, in your family. And, and you already said that you have a problem and that you don't think you can stop. This is bondage. If you said that you're a believer, if you really are a believer... And, and Jose, please, I, I hope that you hear my heart here. If you really are a believer, then you have to remember that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. When Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for you and you gave your life to him, you need to honor God with your body. That's what Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't get to do whatever you want. And the very fact that you're in bondage to the sin, and if this is the kind of lifestyle that you're, 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 you're living, I would ask you to search deeply into your heart as to whether or not you really, are belong, you really are born again. If the Spirit of God lives in you, Titus chapter 2, you have to remember 
The grace of God has appeared to all men and teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You keep saying yes, but the Spirit of God is telling you to say no. You've got to stop. You can't stop on your own. And I don't care if it's drinking, if it's pornography, or if it's drugs or something else. You can't stop on your own. Every time you try, you fail. The enemy is right there to beat you up all over again. You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If you truly are a born-again Christian, you can't be the same person you were before you got saved. Jose, this is more important than I can underscore. You have the wherewithal, at least to, to submit a question. I don't know what your other circumstances are, but if you don't change now, things will get much worse. You have a wife that's asking you to stop. Uh, you could ruin everything, everything if you continue. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy that says you can't stop. Yeah, the truth is you cannot stop on your own but with the power of God's Spirit living in you. He will give you the grace that you need when you need it. And you can say no to ungodliness and say no to sin. But it requires you to die, Jose, and to truly submit your life to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you've got no hope. Well, you can hear the music. This is the Word to Stand On for Life, the Tuesday edition. We will be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the tuesday edition of the word to stand on for life my name is pastor ken cruzado and i'm filling in for pastor ron this week my pastor who normally takes your bible questions uh, answers your questions about uh, doctrine, questions about church life, uh, and everything continues today, this week. In fact, uh, the radio show is still here so that you can call in and ask your questions. The bottom line is this. We want to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. So he will be out this entire week. I will be filling in for him, and he sends his love. He is doing well, enjoying some time with his girlfriend, Paula in California while we get ready for joy of Jesus. Okay, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. That's the number to call in with your questions. 877-630-5757. That's our toll-free number if you happen to be out of the area. And then the email address is questions at calvarysa. Let's go back to our phone lines. Line one, Jimmy, you are on the air. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, Pastor Ken, how are you doing? Um, hi, Jimmy. Second, hi. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses nineteen through twenty-one. That uh, the way I understand the way I understand it is that Jesus, God said Jesus, 
to bear all our sins so we would we don't feel guilty anymore the ones right yes but it's more than that jimmy this 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 passage is is one of the foundational passage passages of the new testament that explain why the, the penal substitution in other words why jesus took our place is so important so I think you have the idea correct, but, but let me make sure we're, we're talking about the same thing. You said, starting in verse 19, right, of Second Corinthians 5? Yes, Second yes, uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses right. 19 through 21. So what this passage is all about is reconciliation with God. Because man has sinned, and they have, the sin that we have committed has has denied us entry into heaven, and the standard for entrance into heaven is perfection. Therefore, no one can enter in. But because of Jesus and this ministry of reconciliation that he demonstrated to us, what he did there in verse 19, it says that uh, he's reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Why? Because we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now here's the key. God, in verse 21, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This wasn't a case where Jesus simply put on his shoulders the sin of the world. He became sin. And this is the crazy thought here. The crazy idea is it's so radical that Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, was experiencing a, a separation from his Father because he became sin. He didn't stop becoming, being God the Son, but the Son of God. But at that moment when he became sin for us, this is the substitutionary death, the death that I deserve, Jimmy, the death that you deserve. And because he took and our punishment and died in our place, then you go back to verse 19. That's when he says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, no longer counting men's sins against them. The price had to be paid. And, and, and if people refuse the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, what they're saying is this, I'll pay my own price. That's okay, Jesus. I don't need you to pay for me. I, I've got the ability to pay my own entrance into heaven. None of us do. And that's essentially what people are doing when they deny this ministry of reconciliation that Jesus has done for us. But for those that do receive the free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, verse 21 is key. He had no sin, but he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. If I am filthy, dirty in my sin, and Jesus is spotless, clean, and perfect without sin, what he did, and I love the way Pastor Ron phrases this, 
Jesus exchanged my filth, my filth for his perfection. He said, I'll take Ken's filth, I'll take Jimmy's filth, and I'll give him, instead of having his filth, I'll give him my righteousness. And the righteousness of God is one that we could never attain on our own. The righteousness of God is what Jesus said is required for each individual for, to enter into heaven. That's why his death is not only important, but it's required, it's essential in order for man's sins to be forgiven. Does that help, Jimmy? Yeah, that's, that's pretty deep. That's pretty deep. Um, it, it, it is. It, yeah. and, and I was talking about this in the first half of the show. Uh, last night in our men's Bible study, Isaiah 53 describes this and why it means so much to the believer. If someone who claims to be a believer uh, looks at the cross and the substitutionary death that Jesus took for them and 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 easily cast it aside, then, then they don't understand what truly happened. But when you sit and you ponder upon what Jesus did for you and for me, and he did this while we were enemies, while we were his enemies, that means that today, 2019, no matter how difficult my trial is, no matter how bad my day is, no matter what bad news I receive, I can look back at the cross and know that Jesus has already demonstrated his love for me and that there's no reason for me to doubt his love today. Don't ever forget that. He died for us so that we can exchange our filth for his righteousness, Jimmy. I hope that answers your question. Thanks for calling, Jimmy. As always, you, you, you bring great questions, and I just love how it, it dovetails perfectly into something that the Lord put on my heart last night as I was going through Isaiah 53. All right. Let's go back to questions that were submitted. Oh, I, I wanted to comment quickly on the last question before the break. Uh, Jose, uh, talking about his drinking problem, uh, he had said in his question, for for those that just tuned in in the second half, Jose had submitted the question saying that, I know I have a drinking problem. My wife has asked me to stop. Uh, I, I don't get drunk, but I, I am a believer, but I don't think I can stop drinking. Uh, when When people stop and look at the price that was paid for our sin, past, present, and future. It, just like Jimmy said, it, it'll stop and make you shudder. It'll make you in awe. And practically, it'll make you not want to sin. It'll make you not want to sin. If I think about pleasing my flesh, if I think about me being the victim, then I've forgotten that the only victim really is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 
Jesus was the victim. He was the innocent victim. Not me. And because he died for me when I was still his enemy, I look back at this and think, why would I sin against my God who loves me so much and gave his life for me? Jose, that's the key to your problem. It isn't a drinking problem. It's a sin problem. And we sin. You sin. And give yourself over to sin because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. When you're with Jesus, when you're staring into his eyes, you won't sin. Let's go on to the questions that have been submitted. Jack says, would you consider 1 Corinthians 7.15 biblical grounds for divorce if a husband is physically abusive? Uh, So let me say this. Uh, Jack, I don't know you. Uh, I don't know the context of your question, but physical abuse is not only uh, grounds for divorce, but it, it's it's a, a, an offense to God. It's a gross misrepresentation of leadership in the home. And I understand it isn't always uh, the, the the husband that is the aggressor, but it usually is. But when somebody is physically abused, I always tell them in counseling, you need to be in a place that's safe, especially if there are kids involved. Now, to this question, 1 Corinthians 7.15, this is the passage that says, if the unbeliever separates or, or abandons, I believe, If the unbelieving husband, uh, verse 15, if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. I I would not say that this passage is is biblical support for uh, grounds for divorce when it comes to uh, physical abuse. Now, that doesn't mean that physical abuse is allowed. I would say it's intolerable and uh, the victim needs to be safe and do whatever it takes to be in a safe place. But taking this passage and taking uh, the two cases that the Bible explicitly gives, uh, the abandonment here and then the adultery in the marriage, um, I would include physical abuse simply because that just doesn't represent the Lord and it and it's illegal it's just simply illegal and whenever there is a violence that recurs recurring violence at home uh, that's that's not only a gross misrepresentation of Jesus but people need to be safe so Jack I, I, I hope that makes it clear about that particular passage. No need to twist it to support uh, divorce for those suffering from physical abuse. But physical abuse is definitely ungodly, illegal, and I would say grounds for divorce. Oh. Ah. Let's move on to the next question. 
This question comes from Patty. I think I've, forgive me, we've, I think we've just answered this question recently, but I, 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 this is a different question that was submitted, so I'll, I'll, I'll read it on the air. What are your thoughts on, uh, on tithing? Should a Christian be obligated to tithe? Tithing is part of the Old Testament law. It's a commandment given to the Jews. And there is no New Testament mandate for the Christian to offer the tithe. The word you know means 10%. And so if anyone tries to force you or pressure you, uh, if any church tries to tell you that you must tithe, uh, then I would tell you that, that they're misrepresenting the Lord. Now, it's what Paul says is, is always the key in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. When it comes to giving, we simply give as each one of us have decided in our heart to give whatever the Lord has spoken to you about. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but lo God loves a cheerful giver. The idea here is literally hilarious. That's what the word means for cheerful, grateful. God wants us to give to him everything, not just our finances, not just our time. He doesn't want us to get into uh, a so compartmentalized and legalistic structure in our life where we say, okay, Jesus, you can have 10% of my heart, but the other 90% of my heart, I want to reserve for myself and do with it whatever I want. Well, it comes to finances, that's where the 10% is. I just give you a little bit, and then you know what? I'm free to do whatever I want. The truth is, God owns everything. He owns all of our money. He owns all of our time. And Jesus loves not only a cheerful giver, but he loves a sacrificial giver. Again, this isn't a, a plea. You know, when you hear uh, false teachers, people who maybe profess this, uh, teach this prosperity gospel or something related to it, uh, they will pressure you to give. And they give sometimes even beyond what you can, what you feel led to give, beyond what you can handle, and, and, and telling you to, to receive a blessing if you, you give. Uh, this is ungodly. Jesus, when he was looking at the poor widow in Luke chapter 21, pointed her out to the disciples and said, did you see what that woman gave? And... and uh, and the, the disciples were amazed at the question because she barely gave anything. And he says, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. Whatever she had to live on, she gave. And it wasn't about the amount of money. It was the fact that this poor widow understood that everything she has belonged to Jesus. So are we required to tithe? No. Should we give? Absolutely. But when you give, just remember, Jesus owns all of it anyways. Just ask him 
what you should give. I can't speak for other churches, but here at Calvary Chapel, we make it pretty simple. When Sam does the announcements every Sunday, he says the same thing. We, we won't compel anyone to give. We want you to give out of a grateful heart. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart, we're not going to pass a plate. We're not going to let our needs be known. We'll just tell you where the offering boxes are in the back. Give on your way out. If you feel led by the Lord, give and give. Great. Praise the Lord. If you don't, that's okay. But a tithe is not required, and don't let anyone convince you otherwise. I hope that helps, Patty. Let's go back to our phone lines. Line one, Jeff, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Hi, Jeff. Can you hear me? Hi. Uh, yeah. so you, I've heard you probably probably three three weeks now when uh, Pastor Ron and his girlfriend have been out of town. And uh, <laughs> I'm just delighted. Uh, I'm delighted, uh, especially... I'm not a member of your church, but uh, I've come to a couple of Bible studies. Um, my wife and I are involved in ministry in another church, and if I had my, if I could do what I wanted to do, I would I would be there with you guys. Um, oh, God bless but, your uh, heart, Jeff. Really, just uh, love Pastor Ron, and I've been listening to him for about about two years now, and I think I call in just about every other day. But, um, I know your voice. I know your voice, Jeff, and and you're just as part of a the, this family uh, as anyone else. And so, thank you for your support. Uh, how can I help you today? I appreciate that, and I like uh, reading your your biography and your testimony, and your wife May <laughs> and your four, your four children, and just what God has done in your life since 1997. So, oh, uh, thank wanted, you, Jeff. You bet. I wanted. I, I just want to. Uh, fall back on what on Jose's comment and just say I, I don't think I could ever stop drinking either but I haven't had a casual drink since I met my now wife which was in 2011 and oh, I, you know that's Lord. one of the that's amen that's one of the, the issues that contemporary Christians have it's either it's either uh, sex outside of marriage, or the right to drink, and that's right. That's and also giving. So don't talk to me about my sex life. Don't talk to me about alcohol, and don't talk to me about giving uh, money of, of resources of any kind. That's and, right. And um, uh, and it wasn't until until I gave myself permission to to stop drinking and also to honor my wife who asked me to not drink anymore uh, that I really started to experience the joy of the Lord. Yes. Yes. You know, it just, you just learn uh, or you just, you, you experience the Holy spirit in a way that, you know, we would not, that as a Christian, when I was a Christian in 1992, and I didn't really become a committed Christian, I would say, until probably uh, maybe 15 years later. 
because I was living what we call that Christian light or, or sure. life, and, and was, was, was kind of like one of those that would just say, hey, I, yeah, I, like, I read the Bible, and I go to Bible study, but I have a vir- virtual pair of scissors that I cut out the verses that I don't really like. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, I, and I just, I, 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 my heart really goes out to, to yes. men and women that still struggle with, with understanding why alcohol in today's culture and what our world has done to it has no relation to alcohol in biblical times. That's right. You know, Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, let me jump in here. I've got a couple of minutes before the radio show ends, and, okay, and I I'll just want to... I'll take comments offline. Yes, absolutely. Jeff, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Your words are so encouraging in me, more to me than you know. Let me jump and can, on to what you said. I couldn't agree more uh, with Jose and everyone else that is dealing with the same issues Please listen to Jeff's counsel. When you get to know who Jesus is, you won't want to sin. And, and, and why drinking and drugs and sex and all uh, sex outside of marriage is, is such an issue in, in the church today is because people don't know Jesus. When you get to know who Jesus is, you won't want anything else. Paul the Apostle said, in Galatians chapter 2, I'll do this quickly. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live in the flesh. It's Christ who lives in me, the one who loved me and gave his life for me. That means every moment of every day from the time I gave my life to him, I realized I should be dead. But because he loved me, he's given me breath. He's given me life. And I want to spend every moment I have left thanking him. The moment I take my eyes off of Jesus, I'm going to look to whatever pleases me. I'm going to look to do whatever it is my flesh wants to do. When we became believers, Jesus broke the chains, the bondage of sin, so we no longer are slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. So Jose and everybody else out there, uh, listen to Jeff and his encouragement. Uh, Thank you, Jeff, for your call. Let me close by saying this. Uh, the reason why we sin is because there's an emptiness that we're trying to fill with something else. Jesus is the only one that could fill that emptiness. And even Christians, people who are saved, that know Jesus, try to fill the remaining emptiness in their hearts with the things of this world, but they don't satisfy. Jesus is the one whom we need to be with, and he's the only one that can fill that emptiness. I hope that makes sense. It, this has been a pleasure. This is the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, there isn't anything going on here tonight at Calvary Chapel, uh, but tomorrow is the Wednesday edition. Four o'clock, we'll be back. Have a great day. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.